Hi, this is Roger Sitkins. For more than 35 years now, I've been consulting with independent insurance agencies. During this time, I've developed and accumulated literally thousands of ideas, strategies, and tools that help agencies and producers grow both their top and bottom lines. About four years ago, I started writing a book called Lessons of a Lifetime, and it's up to about 265 chapters now. Well, I've decided to filter that down and create some ebooks. So this first version of Lessons of a Lifetime, the ebook, shares with you the top 20 foundational lessons. I think you're going to find them very practical and applicable to your business. And don't worry, there are more books to come. Lesson number one, sales versus service. Maintaining a strong division between sales and service is one of the most important and foundational lessons an agency can learn. Salespeople should sell, and service people should service. You know, it's easy for producers to get drawn into the service trap. They go to work with the best of intentions, but once they get to the office, they seem to get caught up. They get bogged down in their day-to-day routines. They're really just hiding behind activities because they have nothing better to do. They really don't have any pipelines. They're not doing a great job of relationship management. But it makes them easy to just kind of sit in the office and say, well, boy, I'm just too busy to get out and sell. I've got all this stuff going on. The reality is, is that they're caught in that service trap because they're unable to distinguish the roles and duties of the service team versus those of the sales team. And without that distinction, once their book of business starts growing, it plateaus a little bit, and they reach a pretty acceptable income level, they begin hiding behind activities. They basically become a very highly paid customer service rep rather than continuing to be a very aggressive salesperson. Now, my experience says that when salespeople get involved in service, they make errors about 80% of the time. Now, typically, this means they're just gathering incomplete information. But an 80% error rate tells me that they need to be fired from service. They're simply not good at it. Now, our goal is to free up the producers from service so that they can focus 80% of their time and energy on the four key money-making activities. Sales, the proactive portion of the renewal process, which we call the continuation process, relationship management, and pipeline building. You know, it's probably a good idea if we define what constitutes service. We say we want them out of it, but let's define what it is. Our definition of service is everything that happens in between renewal dates other than an emergency in flight. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, we liken a producer's job to that of an airline pilot who gets paid for takeoffs, landings, and emergencies in flight. Well, for our producer, takeoffs, that's the sale. Landings, that's the renewal. And if there's an emergency in flight, a big problem, the producer may have to jump in to help solve it. Lesson number two, the 80-20 rule. Within most independent insurance agencies, the 80-20 rule appears to be alive and well. The top 20% of the clients will generate 80% of the gross commission income, and the bottom 80% of the clients will generate 20% of the gross commission income. Now, the 80-20 rule is really Pareto's principle, and it evolved from a study of land ownership by Vilfredo Pareto, who was an Italian economist and sociologist in the late 1800s. And he discovered that 20% of the people owned 80% of the land, and 80% of the people owned 20% of the land. Well, upon ongoing examination, Pareto determined that there was truly a predictable imbalance in the universe, that everything followed the 80-20 rule. Since then, this principle has been applied to almost every aspect of life, including, I believe, personal happiness, that 20% of what you do gives you 80% of your joy in life. And the bottom line is that 80% of the consequences or the good stuff, the results, 
come from 20% of what we do. Over the years, we have found that there are some additional predictable imbalances amongst an agency or the producer's books of business. Let me share some of these with you. We know that the top 5% of the customers, which we call the A customers, will generate 50% of the commission income. The middle 15%, known as the B customers, will generate 30% of the commission income. And the bottom 80% of the customers will again generate 20% of the commission income. Those are your C customers. Well, what we find upon closer examination is that we see that the bottom 50% of the customers in the average agency are only about 5% of the revenue, and that the bottom 25% of the customers are even less than that, about 2% of the revenue. Well, on the top end, conversely, what we call the super A customers, the top 2% of the customers, they're bringing in about 35% of the revenue. You may not believe that. You may not say it's not my agency. It's not my book of business. Go ahead. Run a book of business report listing your accounts from the largest to the smallest by commission income. My experience tells me you'll be surprised. Lesson number three, the four hours focus. Agencies and their producers should have a vision for achieving success. And we have found that one of the best ways is to have a laser focus on the four hours. Results, relationships, retention, and referrals. Results. Well, everything we do must be focused on getting a result not just being busy. Therefore, prior to working on any activity, I think we should really ask ourselves, what does this have to do with me getting a positive result or am I just being busy and hiding behind activities? Relationships. We believe there are five types of relationships that must be proactively managed. Our clients, prospects, insurance carriers, fellow team members, and centers of influence. Retention. It's really pretty simple. The goal is 100% effective retention. Of all the clients that we wanted to retain, that we could retain, how did we do? Now, the key here is to install exit barriers for your clients, and I'll talk about that in a few minutes. Referrals. Well, the importance of earning and, in fact, generating referrals is crucial for us. Think how great it'll be when you're only working on referral prospects. So, again, the four hours focus. Results relationships, retention, and referrals. Lesson number four, the ultimate marketing strategy. This is a straightforward strategy for long-term success. Round out, retain, and replicate the top 20% of your customers, those A and B accounts that are generating 80% of your revenues while systematically trading down the bottom 80% of your customers. Round up. Well, that means creating full-time clients only making sure we're writing all of their insurance. Retain, well, again, the goal is effective retention. Replicate, you're going to replicate something, so why not make it your best accounts? You know the top 20% of your customers, again, are generating 80% of your revenue, so be sure that they're the ones you replicate. Wow them, give them wow-level service that earns and, in fact, generates referrals and introductions. Lesson number five, the producer's improvement cycle. As a result of working with literally thousands of producers, I see that the best ones typically experience a four-step improvement cycle. Step number one, they improve their conversion rate. This is the percent of first appointments that move forward to the second appointment. Step number two, they dramatically improve their closing ratio. This is the percent of prospects that you take through your selling process, and you do have one, don't you? the ones that you propose to, and the ones that become clients. Step number three, 
their revenue per relationship, revenue per sale improves. They're constantly raising the revenue bar, realizing that the size of their book of business is directly tied to the average account they work on. And step number four, their quantity and quality of at-bats improves. Now, when you think about it, if you've got a great conversion rate, a great closing ratio, and you've consistently raised the bar on the size of account you're working on, the only thing you really have to worry about now is the quantity and quality of at-bats. And this means that you must consistently be prospecting for future ideal clients. Lesson number six, the ROI focus. With an ROI focus, everything within your team and your overall agency are built around retaining and obtaining ideal clients. First, what do you have to do to retain your current clients? What strategies have you implemented to keep your customers? What exit barriers have you put in place? How are you managing your relationships in order to achieve 100% effective retention? Second, what must you do to proactively obtain ideal clients? This is predicated upon knowing what the ideal client looks like. With that person or business in mind, how will you meet them? Who will refer you or introduce you to them? What will you do to prepare for your meeting? And finally, how will you differentiate your process from all of the other traditional agencies out there? You know, in the perfect world, when your high-performance team meets every Monday morning, the first order of business should be to discuss how they can and you can retain and obtain ideal clients. It must be a constant team focus. Lesson number seven, exit barrier strategies. One of the beauties of being an independent insurance agent and agency is that if you do a great job, you can have clients for life. After all, insurance is a product people buy every year. Unfortunately, agents and agencies often make it easy for clients to leave. To prevent that, we really believe that you should put some exit barriers in place. Well, the first exit barrier is having full-time clients. You really should not have any part-time clients. Every one of your clients should be buying all of their insurance from your agency personal, commercial, benefits, financial services, if you offer it. Second exit barrier, formal relationship management. Most agents know too little about their clients to formally manage the relationship. Typically, they don't know their personal or professional history. They don't know their educational background, their likes or dislikes. I believe that part of managing a relationship involves knowing as much as possible about the person and visiting them on a regular basis. That's why you should put all pertinent client information into a formal profile that includes a calendar of events, things you'll be doing in the future with them. The third exit barrier is your continuation process. At most agencies, the renewal process is a big event that starts 90 days before the expiration. Well, the goal here is to really make the renewal a non-event. We believe that on your larger accounts, it should start with a stewardship report at the six-month anniversary and an agreement on what the renewal strategies will be for the coming year. Fourth exit barrier, become a member of their trusted advisor team. You see, the difference between a trusted advisor and the vendor of a commodity is really based upon when the client calls you. That's how you can filter this. If your client calls you before they do anything that has some sort of an insurance or risk-related matter tied to it, you're a trusted advisor. If they call you after the fact, then you're just a vendor of a commodity. Do your clients count on you for advice, just as they would their banker, their accountant, their physician? You know what? If so, you're a trusted advisor. Number five, spear-proofing. We used to employ a technique known as spear questions, and they were really aimed at the incumbent agent or agency to beat them up. 
And basically, this was a method of beating up the prospect with gotcha type of questions that, quite frankly, were impossible to answer. For example, an agent might ask the prospect, when your current agent comes in and does the work comp experience mod audit, what normally happens? Or what sort of ongoing educational seminars and materials has your current agent provided? What normally happens during your annual stewardship meeting with your current agent? We find that forcing a prospect to admit they made a stupid business decision is probably unnecessarily aggressive. But we still like the underlying concept, which is why we advise agents to do an internal spear-proofing of their own accounts. And it really becomes part of the exit barrier process. In this session, you ask yourself the following. What are the five questions we'd hate to have someone else ask our best clients? During a client review, this internal discussion allows agents to consider how their client might react to a competitor coming in and to make a plan to defect any possible spears from the competition. Lesson number eight, no practice quoting. Agencies that have a closing ratio in that 20 to 25% range will spend as much as 40% of their resources and an inordinate amount of time chasing business they'll never write. Why they do so really remains a mystery to me. One of the foundations of my teaching is that you simply cannot invest the time or agency resources to practice quote. Practice quoting is defined as providing a quotation to an unqualified prospect in order to get the incumbent agency to lower their price while retaining the account. Whenever I present a seminar or training program, I always get a big laugh when I ask the audience, you know, how many of you have had enough practice quoting? How many of you have given enough practice quotes? Well, you know, you really need to spend more time practicing closing sales and establishing new relationships, not practice quoting. It's a huge waste of time and resource. The key to eliminating practice quoting lies in super qualifying the prospects up front. You've got to find out if they're really serious about replacing their current agent. Could they see themselves firing their current agent? Or are they using your numbers to get the incumbent agent to lower their price? If they admit that they're only using your quote to keep their current agent honest, they're wasting your time. Incumbent agents will always lower their price to keep the account. Again, no practice quoting. Lesson number nine, no unpaid consulting. Well, very similar to no practice quoting, unpaid consulting is something you simply should not do. Unpaid consultants will meet with the prospect and work really hard to get the account, only to hear something like this. You know, we really appreciate all of your hard work, but. Now, have we ever heard that? Invariably, even though the producer pointed out tons of problems on the prospect's account, the prospect decides to stay with their current agent. Don't let this happen to you. Keep in mind that after the prospect thanks you profusely for all the work you did on their behalf and apologizes for not giving you the business, they're going to use the knowledge you provided to their benefit. All of those gaps you pointed out miraculously will get filled. How? Well, as an unpaid consultant, you assess their risks and you presented a no-obligation second opinion, which the prospect promptly gave to their current agent. It's one thing to point out some of the prospect issues and problems, but it's another to provide a blueprint for fixing them all unless you're going to get paid. Your experience is your most valuable asset. That's why it's crucial to establish what we refer to as the rules of the game right from the beginning, right from the start, with any prospect. Prior to offering your knowledge or sharing your intellectual property, you've got to get the rules of the game. If you're going to give it away like it's no big deal, prospect's not going to think it's a big deal either.
Lesson number 10, the best day to lose the sale. Well, as I said earlier, time is your only diminishing asset as a producer. So why do so many producers waste time on accounts that have no intention of changing agents? It happens far too frequently. Due to empty pipelines, also known as a lack of walkaway power, the producer works on the account hoping to get lucky. Their gut may be screaming, get out, get out now, but they keep going. Ultimately, the only thing they get is used. You've got to realize that the best day to lose the sale is the first day, or the first day your gut tells you to get out. For instance, if a prospect admits he's only trying to keep his current agent honest, that's a tip-off that you're about to be used. Get out immediately and cut your losses. Don't waste another minute of your time. Maybe said a little bit differently, you don't want to dance for six weeks and not get kissed. Lesson number 11, WIN, an acronym that stands for What is Normal. You know, wherever you are in life, whatever your income or your level of happiness, that's your current normal. Although normal is relative and subject to change over time, you should be vigilant about what you allow to become normal. Let me give you a few examples of this. Let's say we have two producers who are meeting at a convention, a company meeting, whatever it may be. Producer A says, hey, how you doing? Producer B says, wow, everything is phenomenal. It's the best new business year I've ever had. My closing ratio is 82%. I've done $124,000 of new revenue already, and I have 17 key prospects in my pipeline ready to go. I really can't complain. How are you doing? Producer A, well, I guess I'm doing okay. Producer B, well, what's your closing ratio, and how have you done a new business this year? Producer A, well, you know, I really don't know. I guess my closing ratio is around 25 or 30%, and I, I, I think I've done about 20000 in new business this year, and my pipeline... You know, I'm really not sure, but, but I know we're working hard on it. Now, talk about a study in contrast. The producer who's upbeat and excited about business, he knows his numbers, he knows his closing ratio, he knows what's in his pipeline, that's his normal. The other producer knows none of that, and that's his normal. Take a close look at what's normal for you. Is that how you want to live the rest of your life? Lesson number 12. Your best accounts are your top competitors best prospects. You know, it's common for people to take their best accounts for granted. They think that because they've had them for a long time and they have such great relationships, they're probably never going to lose them. But what we often see is that they're under-servicing their best accounts and over-servicing their worst accounts. It's a major mistake. If I were competing against you, do you think I'd target your worst accounts? Do you think I'd worry about those C accounts? Of course not. I'd only want to go after the top 20% of your clients. You can keep the rest. I'd go in with a unique and non-traditional approach to their insurance and risk management needs. I'd discuss our unique approach, and, and you know what? There's a really good chance that I'd talk about something they've never heard before, and I could win the account. The bottom line is to take nothing for granted. Know who your best customers are, the vital few versus the trivial many, and make sure that you're doing a great job with them. Also, have those exit barriers in place we talked about earlier. Lesson number 13, the 12% factor. One of the keys to success for producers is to spend as much time as possible face-to-face -face with their clients, their prospects, and their centers of influence. And since we believe you can only score points as an active participant, as actually being in the game, what percent of the time are you really in the game? Well, let's do a little math. Let's take a look at a week and the time we have available. 
We have seven days a week, 24 hours a day. There's 168 hours in a week. Assuming you work a 40-hour week, you're spending less than one quarter of your time at work. Well, 40 out of 168 means we only have 24% of the week to even go out there and earn money. So assuming you are working at least 40 hours, you're spending less than one quarter of your time at work. Well, what are you doing with that? The goal of the 12% factor is for our producers to spend at least 20 hours per week face-to-face with clients, prospects, and centers of influence. Now, that may not sound like a lot, but it's actually just, again, 12% of the 168 hours in a week. The reality is that most producers spend even less time than that in front of those clients, prospects, and centers of influence, probably about 10 hours a week or just 6% of a total week. How many points do you expect to score if you're only in the game 6% of the time? Lesson number 14, the 2-2 syndrome. At one time or another, most salespeople encounter the problem of having too many accounts paying too little each. They have a lot of clients to take care of, and they're really busy, but they always seem to run out of time to pursue bigger and better clients. What's worse is they never achieve financial freedom. Why? Well, how could they? You know, if you take the number of accounts you have times the average account size, that, of course, gives you your book of business. So typically what we see, the 2-2 syndrome, there are too many accounts paying too few dollars each. You know, you can't be a million-dollar producer by writing $1,000 revenue accounts. Why? Well, you'd have to write 1,000 accounts at $1,000 each to reach a million. The best concept here is that less equals more. We want to have fewer clients paying us more money each. Lesson number 15, full-time clients only. A full-time client is someone who buys all of their insurance from you. A part-time client has some coverage with you and some coverage with some other agencies. I used to do a lot of market research when I was flying around the country, visiting agencies, speaking all over the country. And I'd normally be in first class next to an executive or a business owner of some sort. And I'd always ask them a question at some point. I said, by the way, um, we talked about what each other does for a living here. Would you mind if I ask you a question? how many insurance agencies do you deal with? I'd normally hear three, four, or five, you know, depending on whether they, again, they own the business themselves or not. And I'd ask them a question. I'd say, well, does it ever get confusing that you have so many different agents? And they'd always say, yeah, sure does. Why don't you just have it with one person? Well, guess what? The answer was always the same. No one's ever asked me. This kind of makes the average agent sound like nothing more than an order taker. They were writing what the customer asked them to write, but they never asked or worked to get full-time clients. Besides being more lucrative, having full-time clients, again, is an excellent exit barrier. If no one else is in, no one else can get in. You know, as the good book says, ask and ye shall receive. Well, I think the opposite's also true. Lesson number 16, toss, top of the stack submissions. Few agencies or producers realize that the quality of their submissions to the insurance carrier has a huge impact on the quality of the quotation the underwriters are willing to provide to them. Whenever I've asked insurance company underwriters about submissions, they've always confirmed to me that they do make some of their underwriting decisions based upon the agency name, the producer name, and the quality of the submissions. Typically, when they look through a stack, whether it's a paper stack or an electronic stack of submissions, the underwriters will look for the names of agents and agencies that consistently provide the most pertinent and complete information. The goal is to become a top-of-the-stack submission. The easiest way to do that is to create an agency task force 
and go out and ask the carrier underwriters to describe what a perfect submission would be for them. What exactly are they looking for? Based on their feedback, you can establish an internal process for creating superior submissions. You want to give the underwriters an excuse to work on your submission first and then give you the very best product and pricing. Once the task force members have determined what a toss will look like, they should go back and thank each of the underwriters that they interviewed. Further, they should provide a sample that illustrates what the underwriter can expect from that agency's future submissions. Lesson number 17, words to live by. Yesterday becomes tomorrow unless you do something different today. It's a quote from the famous Polish philosopher, me. You know, it's similar to the adage that if you always do what you always did, you'll always get what you always got. That would be true in today's economy, except for one unfortunate twist. You'll actually get less than you used to get because someone else will be more aggressive or do a better job than you if you're always doing what you've always done. The key is to stay in a mode of constant improvement. Otherwise, what happened yesterday is the same thing that will happen tomorrow because we haven't done anything different today. And yeah, you can quote me on that one. Lesson number 18, the semi-successful trap. You know, insurance is a great industry to be in. You can quickly build a book of business that pays you $100,000 to $200,000 a year and more. The problem is that all too often, producers get to that level and they get complacent. They stop striving for more, so they plateau and they fall into what I call the semi-successful trap. This typically happens when they are out doing their peers and they're really enjoying the fruits of their labor. You know, they drive a nice car and they belong to a nice country club and they really have a great house and a beautiful family and the, the kids go to the best schools. By all outward appearances, they are extremely successful. However, along the way, they develop some bad habits that prevent them from progressing to the next level. They start hiding behind activities and they gradually get caught in that service trap we mentioned earlier. And although they're semi-successful, they could be more successful. They could achieve financial freedom. Instead, they're trapped a rung or two below where they want to be on the financial ladder, and they don't know how to climb any higher. Lesson number 19, another question, another level. You know, I wish I could remember and thank the person who told me that early in my career. They said, there's always one more question, and there's always one more level. Well, that's been a guiding light for me and all that I do. How many times have you thought, this is as good as it gets, things can't get any better, only to be surprised when something better comes along? The point is, no matter what your situation or your accomplishments in business, you should never stop asking questions or stop growing. There's always something better around the corner if you'll take the effort to look. And oh yes, you better discover it before your competition does. In searching for ways to improve, you really should always ask yourself, how do we make this even better than it is? Over the years, that's become part of my factory-installed equipment. I'm always saying, that's great. Now what's next? What questions haven't we asked? Keep reaching higher, keep asking questions, and you'll continue to grow and improve. Lesson number 20, low-risk and high-risk practice. In his book, The Exceptional Presenter, the author, Timothy Kogel, writes, people who practice get better, people who don't, don't. I love that quote because it eloquently expresses the idea that practice makes perfect. Conversely, if you don't practice, you won't improve. 
You know, within an agency, there are two types of practice, low risk and high risk. Low risk practice is done in the office in front of your peers. And high risk practice, the first time you try something, is done out of the office in front of clients, prospects, or centers of influence. So why is it that people won't engage in more low risk practice? Well, I found they just simply don't want to look stupid in front of their coworkers. Well, all I have to say about that is that you're going to look stupid someplace, so you might as well look stupid in your office. Since you only get one chance to make that dazzling first impression, isn't it better to look stupid in the office than to look stupid in public and squander an opportunity? I promise you that's what will happen if you are not relentlessly prepared. Well, there you have it, the first 20 top foundational lessons of a lifetime. A lot more to come, but I do want to thank you for supporting me through all these years.